Esther 3 as well be this morning. Again, we've gone through uh, these first couple chapters, uh, more or less talking about how uh, King Hazahurus and just the pride and arrogancy that he had in his life, and uh, you know, also just a little bit how he was un unstable, didn't like being challenged in some things, but he got challenged by Vashti. The, he said, I'm going to put her away. She just put away. Uh, I got it. The, the princess said, all right, let's find another queen for you. Uh, we know if, if you, he, they were, he had feelings for Vashti again. And he said, well, if she comes back into power, she's going to want to kill us because we put her, made her go away. So they got a new queen. Of course, we have Queen Esther. Uh, that be, she becomes queen in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 is when we uh, see this evil man, Haman, uh, come onto the scene. And Haman, of course, is challenging. Uh, we would say challenging the throne of, of God because he wants to destroy, he wanted to destroy all the Jews. And, of course, we know that uh, through Esther would come uh, would come uh, the lineage of Jesus, uh, his earthly lineage. And uh, that's where we come into this chapter here. For, for four years, uh, as Esther was queen, everything was peaceful uh, in the palace here in, in, in Shushan. And Esther reigned as queen. Mordecai was taking care of the king's business. He's in the king's gate. And then everything changed. All the Jews uh, in the empire found themselves in danger of being killed. And uh, just to satisfy the anger of one man named Haman. And uh, Haman was, is still to this day, Jews don't like the name. Uh, I was reading some a little about this. The, uh, Esther is part of, uh, the Jews call, uh, there's five books in the Old Testament they call the writings, or the five megaloth, uh, which means scroll in Hebrew, either way. Those books are Esther, Ruth, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentations. Either way. They have a yearly feast. The feast is the Feast of Purim. And they will read the book of Esther. And they'll read it in the synagogue. And they'll read through the whole book. But anytime they get to the name of Haman. And they read the name of Haman. They'll stop. And all of them will they'll stomp their feet. And they'll shout. May his name be blotted out. And to Jews everywhere. Haman personifies everybody who has ever tried to exterminate the people of Israel. And uh, they did not like his name. Obviously he tried to kill their whole race. Today we'll talk a little bit about uh, how he was such a dangerous man for them, but we'll look at some of his characteristics, some of the things that we ought not have in our life, especially when we, you get in, in your future, um, but some things that you ought not have and some characteristics that Haman had, and we'll look at them today, but uh, let me pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're grateful for the word of God. Um, thank you for the challenge that it brings to us, God. I pray that as we learn it uh, more, I pray that we'd apply it, pray that we meditate on it, pray that we think about it, um, let it burn inside of us, God, let it change our lives from the inside. God, that's the only way we can be a truly successful Christian is that we allow you, the Word of God to work in us. Um, God, fill me with your wisdom, your Holy Spirit's power, help me say the right things, God, in your name, amen. Uh, so let's look down, verse number one, uh, chapter three, verse number one. It says, uh, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So I just want to go through some things about him. Uh, we see his ancestry here. Haman was uh, an Agagite. Uh, this could mean a couple different things. It could either mean he came from the area that was called Agag, but it also could mean he, he, was come, he uh, came down from Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Amalekites. There we go. Uh, that's my thing. I think that's where he's from. I think that he came down from King Agag. Because if this was true, then we see why Haman hated the Jews. Uh, God had declared war on the Amalekites. 
uh, and wanted their name. He wanted their memory blotted out. That's what God wanted from the face of the earth. Uh, this story, and I don't, I'm not going to go all the way through the where it comes through in this, but the story goes all the way back to, the, to Israel when they're leaving from Egypt. The, the, the nation of Israel was leaving from Egypt. They, of course, kept talking to Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, that is my daughter's favorite song. No, actually, my boys, they like seeing it. And Abby, Abby knows that one, but she doesn't know much besides let my people go. And, uh, but she's the best singer out of all of our kids, um, but she sings literally everything. So. But when they were leaving, when they said, Pharaoh, let my people go, she, they got out. And as they're leaving, the Amalekites attacked the Israelites when they were tired. It's in Deuteronomy 25. And they tried to attack them when they were tired. And uh, after this happened, uh, that's when Moses eventually goes and tells Joshua to fight against uh, Amalek. And this is where we see the story of Moses on the mountain. And, of course, you've got Aaron and Hur holding his hands up. He's interceding on the behalf of Joshua. They, of course, get a big victory. God told Moses to write in a book that he had declared war in the, on the Amalekites. And that one day, this is in Deuteronomy 25, that one day he would utterly destroy them for what he had done to his people. You attack them when they were tired, after they finally got out of Egypt. And Moses reminded the Israelites uh, of their attack. He tells them again, all right, you're going to the promised land. There's the Amalekites that are there. Remember, they attacked us when we were tired. When you see them, you need to kill them. You need to destroy them. And of course, Moses not being allowed to go in the promised land. But uh, the story continues on in the nation of Israel. Uh, Saul, we see the first king of Israel. He was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. This was in 1 Samuel 15. But because he failed to do that, because he failed to not destroy them completely, he loses his crown. And uh, we know that uh, now whether or not he was killed by one, it, it was an Amalekite that claimed that he put Saul to death. Of course, then David just cut his head off. But that was happened in 2 Samuel. Because Saul didn't obey God and let some Amalekites live, one of their descendants, Haman, was determined to wipe out uh, their old enemy, the Jews. You know, I, I really think, and again, I like seeing this when, when you do some, when you're thinking through this and, and seeing what happens. King Saul, who was a Benjamite, failed to destroy them. But Mordecai, who was also a Benjamite, uh, we read that last week in, in uh, 2.5. Uh, that's where he was from. He was a Benjamite. This Benjamite is the one who took up the fight and eventually defeats Haman. And I, I really I like the things that God ties in there. But everything about Haman is hateful. I do have in here Proverbs 6. Everything that matches up with things that God hates. Uh, and there's not one thing in the life of Haman that is worth praising. Everything, is, everything in here is the same thing that God, God hated about his life. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look. Haman, again, full of pride a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Haman matches up with every single one of these things that God hates and things that God cannot stand. And when you look through this, as we look through this chapter, every single one of these characteristics come to mind as you read through the life of Haman and the wickedness that he had and the evil that he had in his life. But just so you understand his ancestry, where he came from, and how that ties into this story of the Amalekites uh, fighting against the Jews. And this is a continual battle that they had since Egypt. And uh, look down uh, the end of, uh, of verse 1 again. So he's uh, Haman the Agite, and uh, Hazarus here advanced him, 
and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Again, that's the end of verse 1. Uh, so Hazarhurst eventually lifts up Haman to this, to this high level. This is, uh, again, if you really want to know, this is between the year 7 and year 12 of when Hazarhurst reigned. Um, the king picks Haman to be this chief officer, his right-hand man. Uh, I think this was pretty messed up as I'm reading through this. You have Mordecai who saves the king's life and doesn't get thanked, doesn't get praised. He gets recorded, which again is key to the future, but doesn't, doesn't get some big promotion. Uh, but wicked Haman did nothing and, and got this promotion. You know, we think of how many times there's injustices in this world. But you have to understand that God does know what's going on. Sometimes you'll be in your workplace and realize, yo, that guy is the laziest or that girl's the laziest. They're, they're t- always talking behind the worker's back or the, the manager's back. How did they get a promotion and I didn't? How did they get this raise and I didn't? Like, do the, do the bosses not see me working way harder than they are? Like, I'm with them working and they're not working. I see them on their phone. You see these injustices and we think, oh, God, you, do you not even see this, God? God does see this. God has plans for things. Sometimes we don't understand that, but God does know what he's doing. God, we know, will never forsake the righteous. And I'm sure Haman used all of his flattery to get this spot. Uh, again, uh, very proud man, and all uh, Haman wanted was authority. All he wanted was recognition. Sometimes you got to be careful that you don't go chasing titles in life. Uh, that's not all what life is made up of is titles. Sometimes we think we have to have this certain thing. And uh, Haman was very proud. You know, we've seen already uh, in Hazahurst, Hazahurst was as um, incredible of a military leader as he was, Hazahurst was very weak uh, in senses and very gullible to things. Uh, very susceptible to flattery, uh, always anxious to please everyone. And Haman, to get to his position, was not hard for him. He could easily uh, work the, the system. And um, if we think of where Haman got and how he got in his position and why he was in that position, many, and, and I, probably, I probably, I have come to the same conclusion of this, as this Haman could be the illustration of uh, the man of sin, uh, this is in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, it talks about that. But this is what we would call the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, Satan doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. Uh, but he always should have someone ready and have an Antichrist ready. And I think God, uh, Satan has always had that. And I think in, in my study that Haman was that person that Satan had raised up, put in authority to help uh, wipe out people. Haman was given great authority from the king. Uh, just like Satan will give great power to this wicked ruler we call the Antichrist. As Haman hated the Jews and tried to destroy them, so the Antichrist is the same way. He'll raise up a bunch of anti-Semitism, uh, hate for the Jews. And at first he'll, uh, he'll pretend to be friendly with the, with the Jews, just like Haman did this a little bit with the people of Israel. And then he'll even make a covenant to protect them. But then he'll right away turn away. And the same way with Haman uh, uh, was the same way where he just turned on the Jews on this and, and become that hate that was inside of him. Uh, just like Haman was ultimately defeated and judged, the Antichrist will be the same way. I cannot wait for Jesus Christ to do that, to send him to the lake of fire. But God allowed Haman to have this authority. Sometimes we think, man, how is God allowing these wicked rulers to be in place? These people who are hating God, hate the things of God. you got to understand that God does place people in positions for a reason. And there are purposes that he wants to achieve through them. And, you know, God does take his promises very seriously. He won't break his promise. He won't break his covenant. Uh, 
J. Vernon McGee, if you've ever listened to him, but he said, he said, the Jew has attended the funeral of every one of the nations that has tried to exterminate him. Uh, and that is so true. And Haman would be no exception to this. And God takes care of his people, and he would take care of his people in this time, even with a wicked ruler, one who hated them. God protected them. And, you know, what people do with authority is very much a test of character. And you have to be very careful in your own life when you get to a place of leadership and of authority. Do you use your authority to promote yourself or do you use your authority to help others? Do, do, you, do you glorify yourself in those positions or do, do you glorify God? You know, uh, Daniel was given roughly the same high position like Haman. But the differences in their leadership and what they did with their authority to honor God and to help others, completely different. And, of course, the difference between Daniel and Haman is that Daniel was a humble man of God, unlike Haman, and Haman was proud. Uh, but it, we see his ancestry, we see his authority that he was given and what, how it messed him up. Let's keep reading down in verse number 2. Uh, it says, And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Verse 3, Then the king's servants which were in the king's gate said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily with him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. Verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. And... Uh, as we see, uh, as always, excuse me, oh, sorry, the point number three here, we see his vanity, the vanity that he had. You know, as always, uh, he was being unsatisfied with just having this high position. Haman wanted more. He wanted more recognition. And he had a little bit of that already. And he saw what the pride that was welling up inside of him more and more. And he, I just need more of this. And pride will destroy you. And he wanted more and more. You know, uh, and people in this time, were they were used to giving, uh, a lot of times they would be giving public displays of tribute or uh, reverence to uh, leaders. Um, but Ahasuerus had to order a special decree for, for Haman, special law. Uh, if the, he hadn't done that, people would not have bowed down to Haman. Um, Haman was uh, a small man in a big office. And even the other high-ranking officers, they wouldn't have recognized him. It, the king had to literally make a law. This shows us that Haman got where he got, not by earning it, not by putting in the time, putting in the work, but by stealing it. If he was worthy, then the other leaders would, I would, they would gladly recognize him. And I think that's the case in your life. When you know that someone has earned their position of authority or leadership, man, it's easier for you to follow or easier for you to give them reverence or, or respect. Here, he had to have a law written so that they would show respect. And, you know, pride will blind people to what they really are. Uh, it'll make them insist on having what they don't deserve. Uh, and pride can destroy us. Uh, someone said, when little men cast long shadows, it's a sign that the sun is setting. I thought that was a neat little saying there, but Haman was this little man, but his vanity compelled him to make himself look and sound bigger than he really was. He was recognized not because of his ability, not because of his character, uh, but because of the office he filled. Because of the law that the king made. Um, Einstein said, try not to become a man of, of success, 
but try to become a man of value. You know, men and women of value earn the recognition that they deserve. It's not forced on them. And you got to be careful in your life that you work for what you're getting. Sometimes you'll get positions maybe you didn't completely earn, but you, you work to deserve that honor, to deserve that respect, to deserve uh, that fellowship from people. Uh, and be humble when you get those things. Uh, Haman's promotion brought out the worst in Haman. And this, this position that he got destroyed him. It, it created even a bigger problem than that was before. That thing brought out the worst in Haman, but it brought out the best in Mordecai. Mordecai refused to pay res- this, this homage or this respect to Haman. Um, you know, there was crowds of people at that gate. I'm sure that Haman, because I think of this story, and I, at first when I, you know, when we think about this story, we think of, oh yeah, Haman was just going by. Maybe you watch, has anybody watched the old Hanna-Barbera cartoon of this? Okay, got one. They like time travelers? Okay, all right, good, all right. So at least, I, I, it wasn't like a deja vu or that weird Mandela effect or whatever that you, it actually happened. Okay, all right, good. I have a witness, okay. Uh, but it's not as if he was going by and, you know, everybody was bowing down and he was the one person standing. Most likely there was people that were crying out for Haman. Haman had this high position of authority and they were trying to get help. They were, his, the leader going by, I need help with this. I need money. I need bread. I need food. And uh, trying to get help. So as you read these verses, Haman doesn't notice him when he goes by that first time. It's when his friends or the other, not his friends, but the other servants that were in the king's gate working with him, said, why don't, why don't you bow down to Haman? They're asking, why, why don't you do this? And like I said, uh, Haman didn't notice Mordecai was standing while everybody else was bowing. The other officials questioned him. And it was at that point in verse number uh, four that he tells them, I'm a Jew. And for a couple days, they go back and forth with him. They question him. They ask him things and they, they talk with Mordecai. They really, I think what they're doing is they're trying to get him to change his mind. You, you know that Haman is, he's really volatile. He's really... He'll, he'll go off the rails very quickly, and he doesn't. And so they know how Haman can go off the rails so quickly. And so what they do is they, all right, we better go tell him so. Otherwise, they, he thinks we're covering for him, and we better let him know. And from that time on, Haman watched Mordecai as he stood there and didn't bow. And, and he let this anger build up. Uh, and initially, it was just towards the man, just towards the man Mordecai. Look in verse number 5. Uh, it says, when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Verse 6, and he thought, scorned to lay hands on Mordecai alone. His initial thought was, I want to kill this man. I, I want Mordecai to die. And uh, eventually, though, as they show more, it says, for they uh, had showed him the people of Mordecai. These other servants then tell him, Mordecai's not the only Jew here. You know that, right? There's more Jews in our land. And that, now it's building up this anger for the whole people. And, uh, you know, think of why Mordecai did not bow uh, to Haman. Um, there really wasn't, there was stuff about idolatry that they were bowed down like that, but there was nothing against them. There was nothing prohibiting a Jew to respect authority in that sense, uh, at least to the, to the office that the, that the king gave. Uh, to me, I think the answer was that Haman was an, was an Amalekite, a clear enemy of the Jews. And God swore and put it in scriptures that he had declared war on them, you continue to fight them from generation to generation. It says in Exodus 17. And how could Mordecai honor the enemy of the Jews, really the enemy of God? And uh, here we see Mordecai stand with Haman was, was not personal. was like, I don't, it's not you, Haman. It's the fact that you're an enemy of, of, of God. It was Mordecai's 
uh, declaration, I think his, his stronger stance here, that he had before, he didn't let people know he was a Jew before this point, but he took the stand, and I, get, I think he said, uh, I'm not going to go bow down to someone who is an enemy of God. And uh, Mordecai didn't want to do the same wrong thinking like Saul did when he was lenient with God's enemies. Because Saul compromised with the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15, Saul lost his crown. But because Mordecai opposed them, Mordecai eventually gains a crown. I love that, that picture there that we see in, in Esther 8. It, you know, if the Jews were destroyed, that would have been the end of the, the promise for this world, uh, the messianic promise uh, of, of Jesus coming. The reason God promised to protect his people is so that he could use uh, them to bring the word of God, to bring the son of God to the world. And Israel was bringing the blessing of salvation to all nations. Mordecai had no grudge against Haman except you're trying to stop what God wants to do. And I'm not going to allow that. And he took his stand. And Mordecai is not the only person in the Bible who, for right and for, we would say, conscience sake, practice we would call civil disobedience. Uh, we think of the he Hebrew midwives. They disobeyed Pharaoh's order and refused to kill the Jewish babies. And they were uh, standing up against these laws that people were trying to make or that Pharaoh tried to make. And Daniel and his three friends refused to eat the king's food. Again, this is what we would call civil disobedience. The, the three friends there also refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel 3. Uh, we think of the apostles. They refused to stop witnessing in Israel or Jerusalem, excuse me. They said we ought to obey God rather than men in Acts 5. You know, in each of these cases, the people had a direct word from God to affirm what they were doing. And that is what we ought to be doing. You know, there's, uh, in each of these cases, we think through this, they were kind, they were respectful, but they were standing on what they believed in. And Mordecai was resolute in his stand. He didn't riot. He didn't burn buildings uh, for conscience sake, as he would say. But be, because civil or authority, of course, we know is ordained of God, Romans 13, it's something that is serious to, it's very serious we're going to disobey those things. But we, if we're going to do it, it ought to be something that we know we're resolute in. It's our stand. You know, I'm thinking that we said, all right, we're not going to stop church. Church is a command of God. There may be things that we don't have. You know, we had basketball workouts we canceled last summer. Those aren't things, those aren't commands of God. Even our team camp, not a command of God. But our church service, we're not going to stop those. And I'm thankful that we are resolute in those things. And, uh, you know, we think of uh, one more thing. By, by Mordecai confessing to be a Jew, Mordecai was asking for trouble for himself. He was really asking for trouble for the other Jews in the land. And uh, obedience to conscience for us, for us it's obedience to the Holy Spirit. And defiance to civil law is not to be taken lightly. You know, uh, it should be done firmly. It should be firmly based on what God has commanded us to do. And you ought to figure out what that is, things that you aren't going to allow people to change in your life. And I'm not talking about just civil disobedience. Now, there could come to a point in our time uh, or in our lifetime where there's rules that we're not allowed. You are not able, you know, by law to go to church, which they try to make somewhat uh, this last year. But there are times where you're going to have pressure from work. You're going to have pressure from family to change your biblical beliefs. And you got to be able to stand firmly on those things. Not to be up in someone's face, or as the term we use now, to be a Karen about these things. What your job is to do is be firmly resolute in your stand and what you believe. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Mordecai didn't stand up there and nah, 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 and get all crazy. He didn't make a big deal. He didn't put up a sign. He just said, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. And you got to be that way where, okay, this is a stand I'm going to make. I'm not going to fight with you on this. I'm not going to get all upset. I'm not going to argue back and forth, but I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to, what I believe in is what I believe in. I'm not going to change. And that's what Mordecai did. 
Uh, Mordecai may have had some shortcomings. We talked about that in the last chapter of maybe his religious practices. and uh, But you ought to admire him for this stand that he took, the courage that it took to do this. And certainly God had put him and Esther into their position so that they might save their people from being annihilated. Uh, you know, their neglect of the Jewish law is minor when you consider the courage they take in risking their life uh, for the Jews. Um, but with, with Haman, like a cancerous tumor, Haman's hatred for Mordecai soon developed the hatred for the whole race of Jews. Haman would, could have reported Mordecai's crime to the king. And the king, all right, we'll, we'll imprison Mordecai. Uh, or maybe even had him executed. But that would not have satisfied Haman's lust for revenge. That vanity that he had inside him that he said, you, okay, I don't just like dislike you. I hate you. I hate your people. And I want them all to die. Just from one simple guy standing up. And his hatred had to be nourished by something bigger like the destruction of a whole nation. Uh, just as with Judas in the upper room, so with Haman in the palace, that uh, hatred, they had be he became a murderer from there. Um, and he allowed that vanity. He allowed his just full of himself to, to make something uh, even more wicked and more evil come to pass. We have to be careful in our lives that we don't allow our vanity to, to, to overrun us and like Haman did. And there's a couple other characteristics we'll talk about next week, things we ought to avoid in our life. But might we be strong? I think of the story here of Mordecai. Might we be strong in our stand? Uh, but then we also might not allow vanity to rule us in our life.